0: Hey, you want that to go? We've got some news takeouts for you. And first, we're going to go to Greece. Now, credit default swaps were a factor in the the financial crisis in the United States. That's basically when banks and hedge funds bet on on the equivalent of a four alarm fire. They're they're betting on whether or not these these things are going to collapse, I guess, but it turns out that's also a factor in Greece's financial crisis. Louise Story, you've been all over this from the very beginning. You've uncovered some information about Greece and how credit default swaps have affected them.
1: Morning. Um, So credit default swaps are a type of derivative, and you're right, it is a way to bet against um, an asset class. And the way it works is it's an insurance policy. So it's like a homeowner buys insurance on his house, And if the house, you know, catches on fire, he gets paid. And it's the same thing with the credit default swap. It allows a bank, for instance, can buy a credit default swap on Greece's debt. And if Greece doesn't pay the debt, then the bank gets paid. So it's an insurance policy, and a lot of it has sold. Particularly in the last few months, people are buying more and more insurance on Greece's debt. The problem for Greece is the more people out there banks and traders who buy this protection, the more expensive it gets for Greece to borrow in the markets. So it can cause a downward spiral. And we saw this in the mortgage market.
0: You also have to wonder if whether or not they're kind of hoping that the the Greece's financial crisis doesn't recover because then they'll collect on their insurance policies. Louise Story is a finance reporter for our partner, The New York Times.
2: For our next takeout, we welcome back Jason Stallman, Olympics editor for our partner at The New York Times, online from Vancouver, Canada. So, Jason, first of all, it's my first conversation with you during the Olympics since I've been off for a little while. I've been watching the Olympics a fair amount since I can go to bed at a decent hour. You're having a great time out there, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know,
2: here's my question for you, though. I've actually been watching a fair amount of curling, okay? Okay. And it seems to me that that the the sport of curling, very, very popular in Canada and some other places in the universe, uh, has really benefited from NBC's like, proliferation of 50,000 cameras and different angles and all these sort of digital boxes on the screen. Do you think they're betting that uh, with enough digital sort of largesse, uh, curling can be a hugely popular sport?
3: I think they're wise to notion that curling is somewhat of a novelty. And even if people are watching it only to, to laugh at it and to make fun of it and, and question whether these are truly athletes, it does seem to resonate every four years. It's just so different than anything we're used to watching.
2: Well, it looks like a video game up there, and, and for that reason, it seems much more accessible. Explain the rules again.
3: Well, I, you know what? I, I tell you what, I think it's more enjoyable if you don't truly understand the rules, but it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's not true. unlike something like uh, the shuffleboard. They're sliding yeah. a a stone down a sheet of ice and they're, you know, aiming it toward a, a circular target. And, uh, it's a thinking man's game. It's a game of angles. Um, and, you know, leave, leave the questions of athleticism aside. It's, it's fun to watch.
2: It is fun to watch. And who's favored for the gold?
3: Uh, Canada yeah, runaway favorite, and they have a really compelling skip or team leader. His name's Kevin Martin. They call him Kmart, and he absolutely does not look anything like what most people consider an Olympic athlete. Forty-three years old, balding, um, but he is rock star status in Canada.
2: Before we go, shifting to women's figure skating, can the Korean Kim Yuna, the favorite, who now has racked up such a huge score, be caught at this point?
3: Boy, it'll be really tough. You know. People are saying that she's going to have to fall down or something in order to be caught, but she's so superior that even if she falls, her technical components will probably make up for it. She could fall down and still win. However, her chief rival, Mao Asada of Japan, is planning to try to execute two triple axles. She's the first woman to execute a triple axle, one triple axle in the Olympics. She's going to try to pull off two in the free skate. If she does that, maybe it'll get close.
2: Well, maybe a, maybe maybe some suspense, but probably not much. But certainly a breath breathtaking skill and uh, talent there on the ice with the Korean Kim Yuna. Jason Stallman, thanks so much. Thank you, Jason. Of course, is the Olympics editor for our partner, the New York Times, there in Vancouver, Canada.
0: And our last takeout is from you, and it's about technology. We talked about broadband internet yesterday, and the government's plan to bring affordable high-speed hookups even to outlying rural areas. But Dwayne in the Detroit area called in to say the problem isn't just restricted to the countryside.
1: I have internet access, but only through satellite or by cellular broadband on USB connection to a laptop. And I'm just 15 minutes away from three major metropolitan areas right off of a major
0: highway. Dwayne, not many choices for internet there, but the story about internet access is that it's so dependent on where you live.
1: My name is Randy Oakham and I got my laptop, and I just steal Wi-Fi. I don't even pay for it. I can sit in the middle of my living room and steal five different Wi-Fis. That's the way everyone should do it. It should be free. There should be Wi-Fi in every corner. I
0: I applaud your initiative, Randy. I do want to point out one thing, though, is that while you're stealing the Wi-Fi, everyone can't steal it because at some point... Somebody has to pay for the Wi Fi that you take.
2: Although, eventually, I think he's right. It probably will be. Eventually. It's probably going to be free. It's going to be so ubiquitous. So, you know, I I was away for for about a week and I, I found this really sad story. These two radio hosts who were forced to eat expired. Food? That was an interesting
0: yeah, story, John. It what was, were you
2: guys thinking? It was
0: totally fine. That food was fine. That was really interesting.
2: And this was to, about to, to 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 figure out if you need to trust expiration dates. Well, it and turns produce. out they're
0: arbitrary. There's no g- rules on how when to put these expiration dates on. The companies choose. Well, I
2: saw this comment from Ponto in Maryland. He, he he writes, "I once struggled over whether to buy shucked oysters from the bargain bin of a local store. It was very cheap, but I knew it might be a." Uh, Problem. I did buy them, and I made a superb oyster stew. I had no ill effects, but the tension of waiting out the oysters negated the value of the bargain. Have have you waited (laughs) out the food that you ate? I feel fine. fine. Uh, I don't know if I want to hear food poisoning roulette, although it is an intriguing sort of game. You can check it out at thetakeaway.org.
0: Coming up, White House Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel once said, "Never let a serious crisis go to waste." We're going to learn about, unfortunately, some scam artists who are taking that quote to heart in the wrong way. They're making money by targeting refugees from uh, the tragic earthquakes in Haiti. Well, and:
2: Emmanuel is not profiting from, from people in no,
0: Haiti. I, I, that's, no, that's not a fair comparison. We're <laughs> so, saying that they took that the wrong direction, yeah, 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 John. Exactly, that's the point. Right.